you open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing our series we've entitled Overcome. We've been talking about all the ways that Jesus' life helps us overcome, kind of rooted in Romans 12, 21, that many of you have been buying some of those t-shirts, and if we haven't sold them all yet, let's buy up all the remaining t-shirts to support the Remember New Trip that says, Overcome Evil with Good, Romans 12, 21. And isn't that a great thing to just think about the ministry of God's people in this world is to participate with Jesus in helping overcome evil with good. And Jesus helps us as we looked at Advent, right? He helps us overcome things like anxiety with his peace, helps us overcome despair with his hope. And this morning we're looking at how do we overcome hate with his love? We're going to be in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, and this would be one of those passages that would be in the category of very easy to understand what Jesus is saying and incredibly difficult to put it into practice. This would be one of those texts where the knowing-doing gap can get very wide, okay? So here's the context. We're going to kind of start back in verse 20 of Matthew 5, where Jesus said this, for I tell you, now who's he speaking with? He's speaking to the disciples, one of the longest recorded teachings of Jesus, one of his most famous sermons, and he's saying, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, here's how you need to think of them. You need to think of them as the category of the spiritual elite. So they would be like the seminary professors, the most well-known in the religious circles, that if anyone was kind of holding to the religious standard and living what they thought was a squeaky clean life, it would be the Pharisees. It would be the teachers of the law. They would be the ones you would kind of look to. They had the flowing robes. They looked the part. They carried big stacks of books to kind of represent the part. And as we'll see a little bit later on, Jesus is trying to draw attention that they maybe didn't have the life in the midst of knowing all about the life. And so here he's drawing attention to what the people would have said, well, there's the standard for righteousness. When you see the word righteousness, just think right living. So if anyone was living right, Pharisees were living right. So Jesus says, I got an idea. I'm going to talk about something here. I'm going to lift up the Pharisees' right living standard, and I'm going to use it as a basis to talk about what it means to really live in the kingdom of God, to be in the new family of Jesus. So he does this through a sequence of statements. So in your Bibles, if you look at, there's a rhythm to it where he says, like in verse 21, you have heard that it was said. You see that say, so he'll say, you have heard that it was said, and then he'll quote something. He'll quote something the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would have been very adept at handling. So it'd be like, hey, you have heard that it was said. This is the Pharisee standard. And then he goes, but I tell you. You track this rhythm? All through Matthew 5, he's doing this. So in verse 21, and by doing that, he's saying, so I'm going to lead you to a new way, a different way, a deeper way, a way to life. So verse 21, you have heard that it was said, do not commit murder. Verse 27, there's six of these. Verse 27, you had heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Verse 31, verse 33, verse 38, and the sixth and final one, this is where we're going to camp today. The sixth of these, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So that would have been Pharisee standard. Hey, that's a good high bar, these things. Hey, they're living that way. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. What's Jesus say? But I tell you, here's the new way. Here's the Jesus way. Here's the different way. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, here's how we 
here's, here's how we need to not understand this whole section. All the way through the Sermon on the Mount, it would be easy to draw the conclusion that Jesus is saying, if you do these things, you'll then earn your way to the kingdom of heaven. That's not at all what Jesus is communicating. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, if you will come to me and you will pursue me, that there is a family you're gonna be adopted into, and one of the values of being adopted into this family is you're going to live a different kind of way. So the Sermon on the Mount is not a picture about how you earn your way to heaven. The Sermon on the Mount is a picture of people who are already on the path to heaven. Here's what their life looks like. So it's an overflow of being adopted into a new family where something profound has happened inside of you to live this way. Listen to how John Piper puts it. I put this quote in your notes. Here's how he summarizes how we grasp like the righteousness of the Pharisees and then surpassing it with Jesus. It says, picture Jesus saying, if you will come to me, trust in me, receive the power of the kingdom and be cleansed on the inside by the forgiveness and love of God that I offer and bank your hope on all my promises and let my ransoming death cover all your failures and imperfections, then you will be able to live this way. Not perfectly, hear this, but powerfully. And your life will be a light of the world that proves you are the children of God. So do you see this? Jesus is assuming in addressing things like, hey, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is assuming something profound has happened inside of you to live in such a way like that. We don't need a lot of discussion about the, the bar that set, well, love those who love you and who are kind to you and love those who are close to you and then hate everyone who hates on you. Do we need a deep discussion about that? That's kind of... That's the default mode for the human condition. You hate on those who hate on you. That's a human response. So if you choose to go a different way when someone is hating on you, Jesus would say, here's the question you ask. What has happened to that person? Because if you don't hate on hate, if you choose to go love on hate, you'll, something profound has happened inside of you. It's not a passageway of earning something. It's a way of saying, you're in the new family of Jesus, therefore something significant has happened inside of you and there is a love, an advent love pulsating inside of you that's gonna be spilled over out of you that'll manifest and you actually can be able to love and pray and do good to those who have harmful intentions towards you. So it was last month at the end of the Colts-Titans game, once a year, we have a big gathering. Uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes also has put this on, so there's a picture of it. So we gather with like a 1,000 uh, kids and families on the field. Now, it's super helpful if we win that game to make that event a whole lot more fun, um, but this kind of a season hasn't quite lend itself to that, and so we had... I was able to interview Coach Greg Williams, who's defensive backs coach, and then Clayton Gathers, who's our safety, and then Rashawn Melvin, who's our cornerback. And we talked about like the difference Christ makes in real practical reality. It's like, what's the difference Jesus makes when you're three and 11? You know, real life is three and 11. Real life is not 11 and three. We rejoice when you have 11 and three seasons of life, and we've had a number of those around here, right? But it was so refreshing to hear those guys talk about in the, you know, the crucible of just trying to, you know, you, you work and you grind and you press forward and the outcomes aren't quite like you hoped and prayed and thought they would be. Isn't that real life? 
That's real life. So to have those guys talk about that and to see so many of the kids and families gather, it was a really meaningful time. And just before the players and coaches came out and I interviewed them, I interviewed these two young ladies just prior, two members of the cheerleading squad. They shared also about the difference Jesus is making in their lives, Leanna Elmore and Sammy Tony. And during the interview, when I was having them share some of their story and background, Leanna shared an event that had occurred in her life about a year ago at this time, actually. And uh, on the heels of that, I asked Leanna if she would come this morning and share personally with us about that. So if you welcome to the stage, Miss Leanna Elmore, come on up. Come on up, Leanna. Welcome to Eagle. So glad you're here with us. Thank Have you a seat, so much right? for having me. So Leanna's been a part of the cheer squad for five seasons, correct? Yes. Five years on the cheer squad. Grew up in Crawfordsville. Purdue grad. Yes. Oh, Boilermakers out there. All three of oh, you boilers. out there. So whatever. <laughs> all right, all right. Easy, easy, easy now. And she is um, behavioral therapist by, yes. right? Yes. By practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, I'm an ABA therapist, so I work with kids with autism. Okay, so Leanna is normally worshiping with her church family in Crawfordsville. Second Baptist Church is your usual yep. spot, so shout out to Second Baptist. Thanks yes. for sharing Leanna with us today. <laughs> um, but Leanna, I wanted you to kind of talk a little bit about, it was around a year ago, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, ex- almost exactly. A, a year, year ago, ago mm-hmm. you were at, doing an event, appearance, kind of set the stage for what was going on and what happened. Okay, so um, I was doing an appearance with another one of my teammates, um, and it was in, it was at a high school in Rusheville, a town I had never been to, um, and it was celebrating and honoring them. It was a blood drive. Um, their football team and uh, women's volleyball team had, um, they had had the biggest blood drive in the state. So they won this award and we're getting a party and they got a huge trophy. Um, and it was just all to glorify them really. Um, and, and you're doing your usual drill when you're there, right? You're doing yes, pictures yeah, and interactions pic- and signing stuff. Exactly. And- we took pictures. We got to meet some of the kids and, um, afterwards, like, I uh, thanked the principal for having us and told him how awesome his students were. You know, normally when we go to high schools or middle schools for appearances, there's always little, you know, kids doing, making immature comments or being, acting all goofy. Um, We can't imagine that. That, We could never imagine it. Um, And... This time, like, there was none of that. Everybody was completely so very polite Hmm. and kind. And um, I just told the principal how awesome his students were and um, what a pleasure it was to to be there. And um, a little later, after the appearance, um, I received a phone call from that same teammate that I did the appearance with, and she she was freaking out. She had I had already missed a couple of her calls. Um, I'm one of those people who like sets the phone down and like 
kind of loses track of it. So I like wasn't even near my phone. Um, meanwhile, like my phone's blowing up from people trying to get a hold of me um, to make me aware of what had happened. And what did happen was one of the um, players from the football team, he had taken a, who I, who um, my teammate and I took the picture with, um, he, I guess, posted it to his Snapchat, which is um, a, it's more private than like Facebook or Instagram. Um, you can just send it to whoever you want to send it to. And um, he posted a picture with a um, racial slur um, slandering me. And it went viral quickly, very quickly. Um, I'm sure he posted that. He would have posted that at school right after we took it. And, and it just blew up, right? It I mean, blew up thing... by like five, by five was when, five o'clock in the evening was when I found out. Um, and by that point, it, it had gone viral. Um, Can you talk about kind of your internal emotional reaction, Leanna? Like when you first became aware of it and you saw the post and you just kind of, just unpack that a little bit. Like initial reaction was, my initial reaction was shock. I, um, my, my teammate, she sent me the picture and I saw it and I was like, oh, whoa, like that's me and he's calling me out and that's not my, my name. And I, I was almost like numb or paralyzed. Like I, I looked at it and then um, I got back on the phone with my teammate and was like, Oh wow! Okay, she was furious, mm. and I was—I was just like so calm, <laughs> and um, the pressure you started like, to receive around you, right? There are a lot yeah. of people jumping in, saying, "What should you do here?" Right? What were the kind of the, the well, general? At, at that moment, it was just—it was more like I like it took me a second before I even did anything about it because it was almost like I didn't want to like if I didn't recognize it, then it would go away. Right. Um, which wasn't the case at all. Um, so then I finally called my, my coach and she had seen it by this point and she was just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I can't believe that happened. Like you, how are you feeling? Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I mean, I forgive him. Like right then and there before I even had spoken to him, to the kid, or to anybody from the school, or um, I automatically Just in your him. heart. You're yeah. just like... It's like, you know, it... Yeah. It... The pressure you were getting to maybe respond a little differently than that, right? Mm -hmm. Plenty of voices, media involved, a whole bunch of other stuff jumping off. Yeah. And well, like saying, that, hey... You know, you could have easily gone hate on hate with a situation, no problem. Easily, very easily. Um, but really, I didn't feel pressured until after I had um, made, because I don't, if I remember correctly, I don't think I posted anything to my social media. You know, everybody, like Wanted you friends, to respond family back, who right? were, um, you know, commenting on, posting on my wall and standing up in my defense and... 
um, saying some very hurtful things, um, a lot of negativity towards him Mm -hmm. and his family. Um, And after reading those posts, um, I was even more like concerned for his well-being um, just because like I didn't really know him at all. But I did know he's a child, like he's a teenage boy. Um, you know, yeah. we don't, they don't make the best decisions. And <laughs> a lot of teenage boys here can yeah. empathize with that. So, or at least the parents of teenage boys can empathize with that. But why don't you talk about, you made some choices along the way. So in your heart of hearts, you're like, you know what, I know what I want to do here to forgive. And then you reached out, yes. right? And you came up with an idea of, having a family meet with this situation. Can you tell them about that? Yeah, so as the days went on, as the week went on, um, and this grew bigger and bigger and bigger, like it was heard around the world. Um, A friend of mine has a friend in Africa who called him to let him know that, like, hey, this is, I saw Leanna's face, like, and is she okay? And um, mm. so it had spread, like, mm. boy, did it spread. And, um, it, around, like, a few days afterwards was when I, I was contacted by the principal, and he was very apologetic, and I asked him how, um, the student was doing, and he wasn't doing well at all. The, he had received death threats, um, his, he couldn't come to school. He was expelled from school. Um, and he, like they had police surveillance through like wow. outside of his house. Um, and mm. he, he was just pretty much isolated and secluded. And, um, I felt for him like I and I told him you know I'll pray for him like I'm I'm sorry that's happening to him um you know he's yeah it's it's not how I wanted people to react um and so you had a real compassion compassion and empathy towards his situation yes and then somewhere along the way you decide you know what I think it's time for us to have a conversation yes mm-hmm so um I actually asked that um, the principal, if I would be able to, like, like talk. I, I just wanted to talk to him. I thought that maybe if he knew that I forgave him, that he would, you know, be able to forgive himself and be able to, mm. um, maybe others would be able to forgive him too. Um, and... Uh, the principal right away he got on that and he set that up and I think it was like the next day um, we were able to meet at the Colts complex um, and was it him and his parents or his family him or? and his mom him and his mom him and his came mother to the complex came. and you were there him his mother and the principal can you imagine um, internally for him like he's thinking what am I exactly yeah. walking into with this and internally then, for like both of us, like all of us really, because that's just a very awkward situation to be in. And So tell not, me what you said. So he walks in the room. What were some of the first things you said to him? And to he, he walks in the room and I just thought like, oh my gosh, like immediately I was like even more like empathize for him just because he was like just the 
a, a goofy kid. Like, he yes. was and so lovable. Like, he came in, and you could tell he's so nervous. He had flowers for me, <laughs> and he's like, like, his shoulders were up here. So like uncomfortable. So and he's, Yes, he's like, mm -hmm. I, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't. And, yeah. and he's like, can I just give you a hug? So we hugged it out right away. <laughs> and then um, we sat down and he was just, he just sat there like, <laughs> and like, it was the most like longest, silent, right. awkward, awkward pause ever. And we were all like kind of looking at each other like, uh. and <laughs> finally the principal stepped up and was like, well, tell him, why aren't you? Tell her what you wanted to say. You were talking about it the whole way down here. <laughs> now you're freezing up. So he, um, he apologized for everything. Um, he said he was, he was just a, a dumb teen. That's, yeah. that, that's, those were her, his words. Which um, And your response we, to him was what? What was your kind of immediate response back to him that like we all make mistakes um and not to beat yourself up about it i i forgive you um and that i appreciated him coming and meeting with me um because i i was just more concerned for his safety and his well-being um i know you know just about every day we're hearing on the news about another kid yeah. taking their life and I did not want that to be the case that uh, that was actually one of the first things that went through my head which was like if you know if you were in that position and you felt like everybody hate, hated you every the world was against you um you know right. that would the thought that thought might cross your mind and um, to go from that to so we have a picture so, of you in this room so here's the two of them at the end of the, so does that look like a kid who's like swallowed was, up with guilt and all? He doesn't look like that in that shot, right? From a, that was, was at a the end sweet of the. Boy. He was very thankful um, that I forgave him, that I was yeah. able to forgive him and to be praying for him. And I just gave him some, um, some scriptures and some, told him about uh Rick, the Rick Warren podcast. I I love Rick Warren. <laughs> I love listening to those on um, uh, the Apple yeah. iPod or podcasts app or whatever. Um, I listen to those all the time on the road. Um, and there was one like not too long ago before that happened. Um, Rick Warren did a series about forgiveness and. So I told him about that, and... Mm. Um, Did you tie it, Leanne? I know one of the things you told the kids a few weeks ago was how your real motivation to move towards forgiveness was rooted in what Jesus has done for you. Yes. So you talked to the group. You wanna say just a couple words about that, because you're internally, you're just like, hey, I'm gonna move to a place of forgiveness based upon what your relationship with Jesus has been about. Yeah, so the months and the months leading up to that event um i had it it was like i had hit rock bottom like i and it was all on me it was on my fault like um mistakes i was making and um it, 
God had shown me so much grace and so much mercy that I, it was almost like, how could I not do the same in return? And the story, the storyline changed from this experience. So it, came, it, sto- it changed from you're on the receiving end of a racial slur to a story of forgiveness and reconciliation because you were thrust then into this past year has been spent having lots of these conversations, yes, right? Yes, With media awesome. and in public appearances, your, the story has become more about redemption and forgiveness. Yes, And I would say awesome. it's rooted in one young lady's choice to say, I'm gonna go Jesus' way with this, and I'm gonna forgive, so. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Leanna, on behalf of a dad with two daughters, Thank you for the young lady that you are. Thank you for the example that you set. You represent your family name well. You represent the horseshoe well. You represent the name of Jesus very well. So thank you for your courage and your Christ-like character that's on display through this and for sharing it with us. Can we give a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you. I believe that's the kind of thing Jesus had in mind when he said what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. The question isn't whether we're gonna be on the receiving end of harmful intentions of others. If you currently aren't in that place, just keep living. Keep living and you'll be there because it's part of fallen humanity to run into conflict with each other and whether words, actions, intentionally or unintentionally, we're gonna hurt each other. We're gonna make mistakes, as Leanna said. This was a young man who just made some mistakes. And when you're on the receiving end of that, Jesus said, well, you can go, you've got some options here, right? So one of the things we'll clarify here as we kind of pull this together is let's define what he means by the word enemies. It sounds like a really strong word. Our tendency is to think an enemy is someone on the other side of the planet who doesn't look a lot like us. But listen to what Jesus said about an enemy. Listen, look at what he said, uh, Matthew 10, 36. Your enemies will be right in your own household. That's what he said, Matthew 10, 36. Your enemies will be right in your own household. So I want you to think of enemies, it's kind of rooted in what he said, blessed are those who persecute, right? Uh, persecute you. When you're persecuted, the word persecute means you're the, to push towards harmful intentions of others. That's what it means to be on the receiving end of persecution, on the receiving end of someone else's harmful intentions towards you. So in the broadest sense, an enemy is anyone who's turned against you. That's the broadest sense of the term. Anyone who's turned against you would be classified in Jesus' storyline here of enemy. And so he says, hey, you're gonna have those who turn against you most likely in nearest relationship with you. Dallas Willard used to say, Jesus said, love your enemies and you'll find a few at church. The people you're in relationship with, the people you spend time with, the people you go to work with, the people you go to school with, the people you do public appearances with, the people under your own roof, the people you're just in close proximity to are most likely the ones you're gonna be in this situation. It isn't always the person way away from us. Are you tracking with me here? And so then we've got some options in responding. So when you're on the receiving end of this kind of stuff from someone either near to you relationally or not, you can respond three different ways. You can respond with hate on hate. By the way, the hashtag stop the hate, Jesus is the first one to hashtag stop the hate. Okay, lest we think we're the, you know, we figured that all out ourselves. Jesus is the first one. This is his hashtag stop the hate, Matthew 5. 
Love those who hate on you. So you can respond to hate with hate. And how's that working out? What does that produce? Like Leanna said, when she started to see, when others were starting to hate back at this young man, and you start seeing this thing blow up in a way, there's nothing long-term productive that happens when you go hate on hate. Now, internally, that's the human reaction. When someone hurts you or harms you, you just want to get back at them. You want to go revenge. You want to put them in their place. That's the internal human instinct response. But Jesus says, but I tell you, if you're in the new family of Jesus, something profound has happened inside of you, you can go a different way with this. It's like Martin Luther King said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. I think that's a famous quote for Leanne. I think she uses that line a lot when she's talking about these things, right? Hate on hate simply compounds the hate. Only love can dislodge what's gone wrong there. That's what Jesus is getting at. You could try to stuff it and move on. That's another option. What do you do when you're on the receiving end of it? Anybody gone this route? Where you just kind of take it, internalize it, don't deal with it, try to bury it in hopes you just kind of can move on past it. So to stuff it and move on. Hebrews 12 cautions us, right? When you want to go option two, stuff it and move on. Here's the caution. Hebrews 12 says there'll be a root of bitterness that can grow up. I want you to think of bitterness like the definition of resentment. Resentment is like frozen anger. When you bury something on the inside and you don't really want to deal with the ramifications of it, it gets frozen under some layers in our heart. And when that gets frozen under, what settles there is a reservoir of resentment, a bitter root. How do you know that's going on? Here's how you know that's going on. When you got a level nine reaction to a level two situation, do you know what happens right there? You know what I'm talking about? You got level two something. Somebody kind of rubs you the wrong way with something. You got a conflict situation at home or work or whatever. It's a level two. And your response is, boom, you go level nine. And you go, if you kind of have an out-of-body moment, you go, what is going on there? You've opened the floodgates on the reservoir of resentment and the bitter root that's been settled there through a, through a pattern of kind of stuffing and trying to bury it, not really wanting to deal with it. Now, I get it. You need some time and space to work through. But when you go time and space and it gets to an unhealthy place where you're just trying to bury it, internalize it, and not really deal with it, that's a big indicator. You end up having this reservoir right under the surface of your life. And it leaks out of you. You ever seen how this leaks out? So you're, you're, you're in a work situation and something's unraveling at work and you go level nine. It starts all leaking out of you. And the, the people who are on the receiving end of your leaking out, do you know that they really have nothing to do with what's leaking out of you? They're really not the issue, but they feel like they're the issue because you're going level nine on something. This is all leaking out of the inside because it's unresolved. It needs to be dealt with. So when there's this leaking thing that happens out, and when we're going level nine, level two, it's probably an indicator we chose an option two. The other option is the option Leanna chose to go. Forgive, choose love, go Jesus' way. Forgiveness breaks the power of anger. This is the third option. Forgiveness breaks the power of anger. We got no shot to move towards a base of love until you work through a place of forgiveness. And so the picture Leanna painted so well is, you really stand under the waterfall of Jesus' mercy and grace that we've received, right? You take this vertical love and forgiveness and grace that Jesus has extended and you bend it horizontal and you apply it to the people around you who have hurt you, who have disappointed you, who have let you down, who have slandered you, who have whatever, you, who have had harmful intentions towards you. That's the third option. So you can go Jesus' way with all of this. 
So you've got three things, right? When you get receive, on the receiving end of hate, when you're on the receiving end of a harmful intention of others, you can go hate on hate, you can try to stuff it, internalize it, or you can forgive and choose love. And say, well, what does that love kind of look like? From the text, what did Jesus say? How do you know you're going down the path of love? I think Leanna's story illustrates these very well. What is she talking about? She started praying for this young man. Do you know that's one of the pictures of like a practical, how do you begin to love someone who's hurt you? Do you know you start praying for them? And you're not probably praying the vengeance of heaven, you know, strike them dead type prayers, Lord. Though internally you may have some of those emotions. There are plenty of Psalms that have that, but you're moving towards the, Lord, help me to love this person well. Um, compassionate empathy towards what's going on in their world. This young man was a lot of turmoil, and Leanna just began to pray for him. And that's a practical, like what did he say? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are trying to harm you. So prayer, and then greet them. A real practical, Jesus is so practical with this. What does he say in verse 47? If you greet only your own people, what you are doing, what, what are you doing more than others? And he goes on to describe, well, that's what people outside the family of Jesus do. If you're only kind and courteous to those who are kind and courteous towards you, that's not a very high bar. Jesus said, that's list. People who aren't interested in God behave that way. Then Jesus says, once you join my family, here's how this should look. When someone isn't kind and courteous towards you and you run into them at Meyer, you don't duck into the next aisle. <laughs> really practical. You actually move towards them and you make eye contact and you greet them. That's practical. Like, how are you pressing through? I'm not going to go hate on hate. I'm not going to stuff and internalize it. Or you run into them in the atrium. Just imagine that you might have somebody that you're in the church struggling a little with and say, you run into them out there. You don't duck and go the other way. You look them in the eye and you greet them. You pray for them, you greet them, and the last thing you do is you do good to them. This is how Jesus said it in Luke 6. But I, but I tell you, hear me, he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. And here's how Pastor Ray Pritchard describes, I put this quote in your notes, here's how he describes what doing good looks like. Doing good to your enemies means seeing beyond your pain and their meanness to their humanity. It means seeing them as people made in the image of God and understanding there is something twisted inside that causes them to do what they do. Doing good means doing what will promote their healing despite the way they have treated you. You make the first move. You send the email. You pick up the phone. You make the contact. You bridge the gap. That's, if you go that way, here's a, something profound has happened inside of you. You're part of the new family of Jesus. Holy Spirit lives within you. You've received Advent love, and you're bending this Advent love towards those around you. Because, gang, the question isn't whether we're going to be on the receiving end of this kind of stuff. People are going to hurt us, disappoint us, let us down. We're going to hurt others, disappoint others, and let others down. We're either going to be on the receiving end of being an enemy or we're going to be an enemy towards someone else. Just keep living. It's part of being a fallen human being. And the question is, when it happens, how are you going to respond? Well, this Advent season says you can really kind of stand under the waterfall of Jesus' love, this Advent love, and you can bend that out. And you can forgive. And you can go that way. 
and it will dislodge some things. It will change the atmosphere. It'll turn into a Leanna and now a young student and their whole family. And can you imagine the interactions that'll move forward in this young man's life because one young lady just simply chose, I'm gonna do this Jesus way. You know, we all could do that. You say, oh, pastor, you don't understand how, listen, I didn't say anything about a restoration of trust, a whole different sermon on what does it mean to restore trust in these things. I'm just talking about the starting point of stop hate on hate, stop stuffing and internalizing, start dealing with some stuff and say, you know what, I'm gonna move towards this person with an act of forgiveness and love. It doesn't mean restoration of trust is immediate. It doesn't mean the relationship is immediately welded back together. You, you with me? There's a journey through that kind of stuff. But the starting point is this. The Pharisees say, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. But Jesus says, I tell you, Love your neighbors, and even if they're an enemy, and pray for those who have harmful intentions, and greet them, and do good to them. That's what it means to be in the new family of Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, very aware in these discussions, there's a whole lot of things that surface in all of our hearts. Maybe right now, relationships that are coming up right now that we know in our heart of hearts, you're wanting, you're tapping, you're saying, hey, it's time to deal with something right there. And I just pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit. Give us clarity. How do we move towards that other person or persons in the way of Jesus? Help us. Fill us. We don't have this in and of ourselves to do, but by Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we can move towards people in love. Lord, I just have this image of what would happen if the body of Christ would increasingly display this in our own relational worlds and then as we move out into a world, our own nation struggling, Lord. Our own nation kind of, right, we're in this pattern, just kind of hate on hate. And what would it be like, Lord, the body of Christ is rising up. Jesus said, you'll be like a city on a hill. You'll be a light of the world. It'll be a beacon of displaying. You know, there's another way to go with this. So would you help us? Would you grant us strength? I pray that today you would melt away some layers of hate and resentment and anger. Drain out the reservoir of resentment. Just drain every last drop of it. By the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name.